Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It's 11.51 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the 27th day of April 2023. This is episode 714 of Bitcoin and my oh my. Are people really twitchy out there? Holy crap. So I know, you know, lots of people are just, you know, more and more people are becoming disinterested in discussing the Bitcoin price. But when something like yesterday, you know, like that big of a BART, and if you don't know what a BART is, just, I don't know, just BART chart, you know, Google BART chart or something like that as as it pertains to to Bitcoin. And you will see the, what's called the BART pattern where you get this extremely quick rise up and then it kind of goes up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down a little bit uh, at the top. And then it comes way, way, way back down and it looks like BART's head, right? That's the BART chart. And we got one yesterday and everybody's like, oh my God. So it looks like Cointelegraph might have what happened. So let's, you know, shoot, might as well find out what the hell happened. Bitcoin price retargets 29,000 after Mt. Gox panic liquidates $320 million. Uh, Cointelegraph, William Suberg. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin returned to a familiar range on April the 27th as panic over the alleged Mt. Gox and United States government transactions faded. Oh, what the hell happened here? Data from Cointelegraph Markets Pro and TradingView <clears throat> showed BTC USD pair traded near 29,000 on Bitstamp, up nearly $2,000 from the prior day's low. Snap volatility had kicked in following the Wall Street Open as Bull's trip to 30,000 was rudely, rudely interrupted by fears that BTC from wallets controlled by the United States government and entities related to the defunct exchange Mt. Gox were on the move. As Cointelegraph reported, the claims turned out to be false, but not before wiping a large slice of open interest from derivatives markets and sending BTC USD down 7%. The subsequent recovery returned the pair to 29,500 before consolidation kicked in. Reacting popular trader Gel or Jelly, J E L L E, called on Twitter followers to filter out short time frame curveballs. Quote, Bitcoin higher time frame direction is clear. Everything else in the meantime is noise, he wrote of the day. Quote, trading the volatility is fine, but stay focused on the bigger picture. Above 30,000, the targets increase quickly. End quote. Jell added that he was not sure on short-term price trajectory, but that the destruction of leveraged positions was usually a good sign for market strength. Fellow trader Crypto Tony was more cautious, choosing to wait for further cues before entering back into the market. 
27,700 is the level I am watching very closely today for a short position. I need to see weakness first to get into this, but even a long here for me looks risky. Oh, poor little weak-handed son of a bitch. Trader Murko, Murrow, sorry, Trader Murrow, focused on 29,005 as the make or break zone for Bitcoin with acceptance or rejection at that level, key to determining trend direction. Data from monitoring resource CoinGlass, meanwhile, showed the extent of the panic among market participants. On April the 26th, both shorts and longs suffered as liquidations on Bitcoin passed $150 million. Cross-crypto liquidations totaled over $320 million. Observers noted the intense reaction to the news event on lower time frames in particular, among them contributors to on-chain analytics platform CryptoQuant, uh, who says, let's see, yeah, here's a, here's a tweet. Uh, second highest peak of liquidations at position long in just one hour in 2023, about $36.5 million in positions liquidated in the last hour. On today's day alone, the 26th, that's over $65 million liquidated so far. And then he's got a cute little bear emoji up there. Okay, so why why even bring this to you? Because, you know, why are you talking about price? Well, this isn't as much about price as it is. It demonstrates a theory that I've had about what when I'm looking at a chart. It could be Dow Jones. It could be the S&P 500. It could be Bitcoin. Doesn't matter. That chart tells me more than the price. I don't do technical analysis the way that like uh, Tone Vase does or any of these crypto quant traders or any, I don't do that. Okay. But I, I do every once in a while look at charts. And every time that I do see charts, I always immediately look at the chart as a whole, no matter what the time frame is. And what I see is the movements of a mass amount of humanity's psychology. I see a psychological chart. I don't see a price chart anymore. And I haven't for a very, very long time. I've brought this up a couple of times on the show, but I think that what we see, especially when volatility is, you know, well, I won't say rampant, but when volatility is present, I think... When volatility is present, you're seeing fear, bearishness, bullishness, strong hands, weak hands, all mixing together in a pot. And the general direction kind of tells me who won. And in this particular case, who won? The terrified, spineless, cold hands or, or weak hands. Well, I guess you could probably say cold hands. I don't know. But that's who won because they're not invested in the future. They're invested in today. So what I look at when I'm reading this and I'm looking at these charts and I'm looking at what happened in the BART, the BART pattern, <clears throat> I see how much further we have to go <laughs> before we have enough people that have converted from their short to medium time frame outlooks into a long term or a long term, well, long time frame outlook. 
That's what I'm getting at. That's why I think what happened yesterday and early, very early this morning, that that's what I think is going on here is that we're not, you're not seeing some technical analysis or like, oh, well, because it had a rising star pattern or some bullshit like that, that's why it's going to drop. No, no, this has everything to do with fear and loathing in the markets. But who? what is the markets? It's us. We're the market. What we perceive price is, what price should be, where price was, all that is just perception of the human players that make up the market. Sure, the other end of the market is the thing being priced, but it's really more about us. And it's really more about how scared we get and how easily manipulatable the mass amount of humanity really is because everybody is terrified. And when people are scared, what do you do? If you want to move a market, you release a fake story. Do I know that the story that was released or whatever it was that was released about the Mt. Gox and United States government stuff moving Bitcoin was true? Or if, if it was a, a complete fake and they're the ones that did it and they did it with the machinations to crash the market? No, I have zero proof. It's a gut feeling though. Because if your enemy, and these people are our enemy, <clears throat> If they want to suppress the price of something like, oh, say, oh, I don't know, gold for like the last five decades or whatever, then, yeah, if you can plant something that cost as little as having Barron's or Wall Street Journal run a story and it spooks the market and it gives you the effect that you want, what did that cost you? Hell, you didn't even ha actually have to sell any Bitcoin to do that. You just called up your guy at the Wall Street, you know, called up, I don't know, finance desk or, or crypto desk and said, hey, I got a, I got a tip, man. United States government's going to sell it all. Going to sell it all. Well, we knew the Marshall Service that holds this 40,000 Bitcoin that people are, are scared about, they've held that much Bitcoin before. They've done the exact same shit. They always sell it. They're not smart enough because they don't have a proper time frame. So can you know ex expect this kind of bullshit to continue forever, right? Now, how how to make sure that it doesn't crash the markets like this? You 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 buy Bitcoin and you hold Bitcoin and you tell your friends not to be scared, which is one of the reasons why I think the DCA daily cost average, right? You just buy like let's say. $15 of Bitcoin once a week and you never touch it. No, there's not a lot of people. Well, there are a lot of people. Let's be clear. There are a lot of people that $15 right now in today's day and age could really screw them up. But there's so many other people that that $15 a week will not screw them up that if they just continue to buy and they don't ever touch it and they just don't read about it or whatever, they just set it and forget it then this that would alleviate a lot of this uh, tumult. But scared people are out there and scared people are very easy to manipulate. And I suspect that we have not seen the last of the manipulation. Again, I have zero proof that the United States government or people from Mt. Gox are in collusion to do this kind of thing, but it is what it is. Now, <clears throat> Bitcoin Magazine, BTC Casey, 
Trammel Venture Partners releases Venture Industries' first Bitcoin native startup ecosystem research. Where's a mouthful? Maybe we'll get some more out of the story. Trammel Venture Partners, an Austin-based venture capital firm focused on Bitcoin, has released the Venture Industries' first Bitcoin native startup ecosystem research. The study, I guess that's the research, found that despite the market drawdown in the broader crypto market in 2022, Bitcoin has emerged as a growth category in venture capital, with a 52.9% increase in deal activity year over year. The report also highlighted the misallocation of capital for Bitcoin startups and the gap in institutional venture capital for founders focused on the Bitcoin tech stack and ecosystem. Christopher Calicott, TVP, or Trammell Venture Partners, managing director and founding partner, commented in a press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine that, quote, Bitcoin, the first, best, and only truly decentralized crypto, is in quotes, asset, is becoming a platform at an accelerating pace. Despite its consistent market capitalization dominance, venture capital into Bitcoin startups in 2022 only represented about 1.3% of invested capital sector-wide. TVP intends to change that. According to the press release, TVP launched the Venture Industry's first dedicated Bitcoin native ecosystem-focused fund series in 2021 with a goal of institutionalizing venture investment for this emerging growth category within the wider crypto venture capital industry. The release of the emerging Bitcoin native venture capital research brief marks a new phase of TVP's plan to augment the available research for Bitcoin startups. Technical development of Bitcoin Core has proceeded carefully, avoiding inducing risk associated with fast changes, yet the growth of the Bitcoin startup category has begun to accelerate in the last two years, the press release states. In addition, technology enablements such as SegWit and Taproot activations gave rise to the Lightning Network and other areas for entrepreneurial exploration and development. TVP's Emerging Bitcoin Native Venture Capital Research Brief is available for download on the company's website, and you can find that at <clears throat> tvp.fund forward slash white papers, and then just look for it over there. Anyways, tvp.fund will get you over there to Trammel Venture Partners. Now, what's security? What's security, dude? Bitcoin enthusiast cracks a known 12-word seed phrase in 10 minutes. Be careful with this. This is a little clickbaity on, on Cointelegraph's part. Let's read and try to understand what was just said in the headline. This is written by Joe Hall. What security? Bitcoin enthusiast cracks known 12-word seed phrase in minutes. Many people will look at, look at that at first, like, oh my God, my 12-word seed phrase is not safe. Anybody can crack it inside of a half an hour. That is not true. Let's go through this to find out exactly what's going on here. Because like I said, this is going to be a little clickbaity, but when people write bullshit like this, I feel that it's necessary to bring it to you so that we can pull it apart to understand why it's bullshit. A systems architect cracked a seed phrase and won a 100,000 Satoshi bounty or 0.001 Bitcoin worth about 29 bucks in just under half an hour. 
Cointelegraph spoke to Andrew Fraser in Boston, who underscored how critical it is to keep a Bitcoin wallet seed phrase secure and offline. And then they describe what a seed phrase is. I don't think we actually have to do that. As shown, Wicked's tweet challenged users to decipher the correct order of the 12-word seed phrase. And the tweet reads thusly, quote, Anyone wants to try and brute force this 12-word seed phrase securing 100,000 sats? I'll give you all 12 words, but in no particular order, and the standard derivation path of M8400. No fancy tricks. Good luck. It took just 25 minutes to unlock the 100,000 Satoshis worth just under $30. The incident serves as a timely reminder for Bitcoin users and crypto enthusiasts to take crypto security seriously. Fraser cracked the code using BTC Recover, a software application available on GitHub. The software offers a range of tools that can determine seed phrases with missing or scrambled mnemonics and uh, passphrase cracking utilities over Twitter DMs, Fraser told Cointelegraph, quote, My gaming GPU was able to determine the correct order of the seed phrase in about 25 minutes, though a more capable system would do it much faster. He noted that anyone with a basic knowledge of running Python scripts using the Windows command shell and understanding the Bitcoin protocol, particularly BIP39 mnemonics, should be able to replicate his success. Cointelegraph queried Fraser about the security of a 12-word seed phrase. Fraser explained that they are perfectly secure if the words remain unknown to an attacker or if there is a passphrase's 13th seed word used in the derivation path of the wallet. Moreover, he emphasized superior security of 24-word seed keys. Quote, even if an attacker knew the out-of-order words of your 24-word seed key, they would never stand a hope of discovering the correct seed, end quote. Fraser broke down the entropy calculations to explain the difference in security between the two types of seed keys. A 12-word seed has approximately 128 bits of entropy, while a 24-word seed boasts 256 bits. When an attacker knows the unordered words of a 12-word seed, there are only around half a billion possible combinations, which is relatively easy to test with a decent GPU. A 24-word seed, however, is roughly 6.24 raised to the 24th power possible combinations. And my, my, that's a lot of zeros. Even the probability of an attacker cracking a 12-word seed phrase is borderline absurd. A 24-word seed phrase may be superior, but as Wicked pointed out, in a post-mortem of the seed phrase challenge, quote, it's not going to be hacked, to be honest, end quote. Ultimately, it's a timely reminder to readers to ensure seed phrases are never published or shared online. That means seed phrases should not be stored in a password manager or in cloud storage, and they certainly should not be typed out into a phone. Fraser also stressed the importance of keeping seed phrases or seed keys secret and to take advantage of a passphrase that functions as part of the derivation path. As for the 100,000 sats that Fraser took home, Fraser tweeted that he spent them on dinner that night. Chicken Marsala, talk about circular economy. Yeah, talk about weak hands. All right, so here's the deal. If you, did, if you missed it through that, here's the, 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 the gist. The 12-word seed phrase was cracked because the 12 words were known, right? If you've got a 12-word seed phrase 
And nobody knows but you what those actual words are and your derivation path. It's not like this dude's going to be able to crack your key. Now, if you give him those 12 words, right, and the derivation path, and even if the words are out of order, that's when it takes him roughly 30 minutes to crack the order of the words. So that's one of the things that, that I wanted to make sure that we understood that we can be manipulated sometimes just through clickbaity articles. Cointelegraph probably doing it just because they want clicks, right? But when we see shit like this, we really got to read deep into what actually happened. And here's what did not happen. An unknown seed key of 12 words in length did not get cracked because the words would be unknown, right? So keep, please, please, please keep that in mind. This is the kind of shit that I see released and it can have detrimental effects on people going, well, I guess that means that my, my, that, that Bitcoin seed, seed keys are just, they're, they're not, they're not safe. Yeah. Yeah, they are. Just don't let anybody know what the hell the words are. Okay. Now Kraken. Kraken asks a San Francisco court to intervene against IRS demands. Prashant Jha has this one for Cointelegraph. Crypto exchange Kraken is taking the fight against the United States IRS and its demand to present critical exchange user information to the court. The exchange deemed IRS's demands for customer information as an unjustified treasure hunt. The crypto exchange has requested a federal court in San Francisco to intervene in the issue and ask IRS to back off, Bloomberg reported. Kraken's pushback against the IRS comes in reaction to the agency's February summons demanding additional user information to identify Kraken accounts that did at least $20,000 of cryptocurrency trading in any single year between the years of 2016 and 2020. The exchange, in its request, cited Coinbase's case from 2017 and said that the tax agency had gone far beyond the rules set by the U.S. District Judge Jacqueline Scott Corley. In the Coinbase case, the agency scaled back its initial demand after Coinbase's continuous refusal. However, Judge Corley decided that the summons sent to more than 14,000 customers of the exchange wasn't too intrusive because the IRS had a valid reason to look into taxpayers who might not be disclosing their Bitcoin gains. The Kraken lawyers claim that the IRS has gone far beyond its intrusive summons and its demands for customer information are not justified. Kraken joined Coinbase in its efforts to push back against growing regulatory scrutiny by American regulators. Coinbase is currently fighting its own battle against the United States Securities and Exchange Commission over offering crypto staking services. The SEC alleged that staking services offered by the likes of Kraken and Coinbase violate securities law, while the San Francisco-based crypto exchange settled with the SEC for $30 million for offering staking services. It has decided to head to court for its IRS battle. The growing regulatory scrutiny has become a growing concern for crypto companies in the United States. The likes of Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong and USD coin issuer Circle CEO Jeremy Allaire have warned that the growing pushback from the regulatory bodies will force budding crypto companies to move offshore. And I think they should. I think they should. I think Kraken and Coinbase, I think all of them should just get the hell out of the United States. 
because apparently the United States wants to be the future backwater of this planet. That's what the United States wants to be, a complete backwater. You know, so I, I highly recommend that Brian Armstrong, as much as I don't like him, I think he should pull up stakes and move to Bermuda or wherever. And Kraken and the, the Jesse Powell's, well, he's not the CEO anymore, but Jesse Powell, you know, helped create Kraken. That whole thing needs to come up and, and get out. Binance.us just needs to close it down. Destroy all records. All of these guys need to destroy all the United States records and just move. Just get out and never again do business with any United States citizen. It'll be... That way, it would be on the back of the United States citizen as to just how much you want to do trading over at Coinbase or Kraken or or Binance or whatever. And then are you going to get your VPN? Are you going to do it over Tor? Are you going to make a combination of the two? Are you, how are you going to mask your identity? How are you going to do all this? And one of the things that, that I, I was thinking of as I was reading this was how cool it would have been if we had had the use like in Noster of public private key pairs to express our identity without it being linked to any United States document like a passport or driver's license or bank accounts or whatever, right? Your address, you know, all that kind of stuff. Because this way, <clears throat> y'all on Noster know that it's me through various means. I'm the only one that can actually post notes on my Noster account, right? And I do that because of the way the public-private key pairs are, well, the way that they work as far as the Noster protocol works. This is what we need for, and I, I hesitate to say decentralized trading, but it's the best word that I got right now. So we'll just do, you know, D-trade or whatever you want to call it, where I can sign in to Kraken with a Noster key or a public key or, and, and see, I could be able to, you know, sign into anybody's, anybody's account. If I knew their public key, uh, on, you know, on Kraken and they were using the system, I'd be able to see all their trading stuff, but I wouldn't be able to execute trades on that particular account's behalf. No, no, no. Cause I would need my private key. So I plug in my public key. I get in as a login and then I give it my for lack of a better term, password, which is my private key. And now I can get monies into the exchange. I can trade my, do my degen trade, trading shitcoin stuff. And then I can punch out. And the only thing left behind is essentially the public key. And if you can marry the public key, if, if somebody like at the United States IRS could marry the public key to my identity and they could prove it in a court of law, well, then I'm probably in, in a lot of hot water. But the chances of them being able to do that, if you take just a modicum of, you know, security measures on your identity, yeah, it's going to be a little difficult for them to do. Which is, I think that that's the way that we should be going in the future is this whole public-private key pair uh, identity system. Because it works so very, very well on Noster. And there's no reason why I can't work the same for, you know, HODL HODL, uh, BISC, these, you know, these uh, more decentralized trading platforms. But why wouldn't Kraken be able to do that if they were not subject to the laws in the United States? Uh, do you really want to do business in the United States at this point? 
not not with Elizabeth Warren running around because she's freaking out, but be that as it may, I'm just saying, this is getting to be a little, just a little ridiculous. And I wouldn't be sad one bit if all these guys said, you know what, we're going to El Salvador. <laughs> We're going to, we're going to open up shop in Honduras or Nicaragua and hire, I don't know, hire the junta to, you know, defend your, your, your company's building or something like that against any insurgents. It doesn't really matter. Let's, let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. I got West Texas intermediate oil up. Uh, two-thirds of a point to $74.80 a barrel. Brent North Sea is likewise up 0.81% to $78.32. Natural gas is also up 2.43% to $2.36 per thousand. Gasoline is the only thing that's dipped, uh, almost a full half point to $2.53 a gallon. Gold is okay today, but it's still under 2000 at $1,998.40. Silver is down 0.4% to 24.97. Platinum down uh, almost a full point. Wow. Copper is up a half a point and palladium is down just over a full point. Most of your ag stuff is down. Uh, biggest winner today is going to be cotton 0.7. No, no, 2.71% to the upside. Biggest loser today, ah, wheat 1.79% to the downside. I got live cattle up a half point, lean hogs down 0.39, and feeder cattle up a third of a point. The Dow is ripping today, ladies and gentlemen. They're absolutely ripping because we had a whole bunch of people basically fake their uh, earnings. I think they're. I think all the earnings are faked on these on this quarter's report. Doesn't matter what I say. I'm not Jim Cramer. I'm not getting the big butts bucks. Dow is up 1.45 uh to 33,939. Wow. S&P is up almost a full 2 points. Nasdaq is up well over 2 to 2.71% and the S&P mini is up as well 1.5%. Real money is also up $29,674.33 after 325 1,000 BTC have been sent around the horn in the last 24 hours with an average transaction value of 0.7. There we go. 0.78 BTC, a median transaction value of 0.0027. That's $81, ladies and gentlemen. I haven't seen the median transaction value this low in a very, very long time. Talking years. Something's going on out there, people. Something is going on. Block times are high, 10 minutes and 50 seconds. We got 0.3 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis and 40.9 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24-hour period. A 3.5% dip in hash rate brings us all the way down to 310 measly exahashes per second. What's Doge doing? Your shitcoin indicator is is at 8.1 United States pennies, so the rest of your shitcoins are doing as well too. Uh, market capitalization for Bitcoin is uh, 573.4 billion dollars. That's 4.3% of gold's entire market cap, and you can almost get a full 15 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one Bitcoin, of which there are. 19,357,599 and a half of and 5,377 
0.6 of those are in the Lightning Network, valued at $159.3 million, sporting 73,944 payment channels. 65.9% of all that shit's being run over Tor. We've got a negative 5% estimated difficulty change on May the 4th be with you. Mempool is looking packed again, ladies and gentlemen. Got 59, maybe 60 full blocks. Um... 152,000 unconfirmed transactions has been causing the purging of two any any transaction under 2.13 satoshis per vbyte those transactions are being pull, uh, purged from various mempools um got a 33 satoshi per vbyte as a low priority and 39 satoshis per vbyte for the high priority to get your uh, transaction into the next block is going to cost you roughly around a buck 61 fountain finally got their shit fixed. I think because I am now number 10, (laughs) not being self deprecatory. I'm just saying what the truth is because after being on the number one spot on fountain and seeing some other things uh, for, Oh God, what since last Friday, I mean, it was um, was on top for almost a full week. Come on, man. That, that can't be right. So I've fallen back to number 10, still in the top 10. Um, but yeah, it looks like they finally got their shit fixed up. Now, did I, do I have any boosts that I can read? Oh, yes. And the boostograms are back on their web. Uh, with the boob sat, Dabowski says, you ain't running with scissors. Are you even running? I oh, know. I'm not a developer, so I can't really run with scissors. But I can I can hang out with the guys that are. Eh. Pitar with a striper boost. <clears throat> seven 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 says the reason <clears throat> episode seven oh eight is hugely popular is because of the three hundred and thirty three thousand three hundred and thirty three baller boost puts it on top of Fountain's discovery page. Not to mention my three hundred and eighty one followers all see that in their alert fee uh, feed. Tree facts are still cool though. Okay. Pitar is probably the reason that I that I've been jamming. Thank you, Pitar. You see, you, you you see how it is, Larry. You see what happens, Larry. You see what happens when you when you try to get somebody on the top of the charts, Larry. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Nick underscore dose with three four five six says cheers. Dubravko with a thousand satoshi says. As soon as you said it seems like this dude has endless money for lawsuits, I believed in the possibility that he is a state-sponsored actor. Freaking goose should just get on board as opposed to rocking the boat with thrown rocks. Yeah, it's talking about Craig Wright. The fucking goddamn clown. Anyway, uh, what? Crogman Tanner with 100 sat says, stay out of the 9 to 5, brother. Your work and sanity is important to us. Well, it may have to happen. It may have to happen. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. It's not like I want it to happen, but it may have to happen. So we'll just, you know, we'll have to go with that. It it is what it is. I don't get to tell life how life is going to be. All right. So here's the Nostra report. There's something about Cassie. Have you seen the whole Cassie thing? (laughs) Block height. 787-148, Moscow time, 34-34, quote of the day, quote, I've read about Nostra on Twitter, and I thought no one was using it, end quote, Cassie. <laughs> Headlines, new Nostra user, Cassie, takes everyone's feed by storm as Nostra extends a warm, 
but maybe slightly weird welcome, <clears throat> Tanel, to the universe of decentralized social networking. Welcome to Cassie and all new users. Jack making reference to an earlier bounty offered up by the GitHub replacement. Jack says, quote, I'm growing more and more concerned about the reliance of GitHub and starting to think a bounty isn't the right way to fund this work. Okay, so yeah, uh, we need a replacement for GitHub. Ever since Microsoft bought GitHub, or I'm pretty sure it was Microsoft, I've been worried about that shit too. Thankfully, Novak always keeps a copy, the latest copy of what's going on on Bitcoin Core's uh, GitHub. He, he keeps that cloned in his own repository, and he ain't the only one. Many, many, many people clone down what's going on on GitHub on a daily basis, and that helps, but we have to get rid of GitHub. Well, not get rid of it. We need a replacement for it. And Jack's starting to get a little nervous about it. Novak, episode 34 of Bitcoin Review is out. Noster is taking off. Uh, he's got to catch up with Fiat Joff, JB55, Pablo F7Z, and Matt O'Dell. The episode goes over many projects, NIPs, Mastodon, Blue Sky, DHT, and more. So he's got his thing going on. Noster.band now allows you to view what was trending on any day, not only the current day. Oh, that's kind of interesting. So yeah, go check out Noster.band. Uh, it's kind of a cool little site. New York Times Up responds to a new Bitcoin hit piece, this time by The Guardian, calling on them to, quote, <clears throat> or rather, hashtag stop the presses, and in their wasteful and environmentally damaging use of paper when printing news publications, uh, oof, someone bought the domain bluesky.social. They didn't even buy their own domain. Yeah, I, JB55 was good enough to slip me his last invite to Blue Sky, and I kind of got on it earlier today. Used it a little bit. I got to tell you, I don't feel home anywhere but Noster anymore. It happened that fast. I was a Twitter user for years, and the last time they kicked me off was, was it last November? Or somewhere around Christmas? I... No, it was like, it's got to be October. The October of last year, <clears throat> I started using Noster in early November. And by the time Christmas was over, I was fully hooked. And now if I go to any other social media platform, I feel like an alien. It, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't look right. It just, Noster is now my home. So just be aware, Noster is, is now my home. It should be yours too. Last up, internet providers compelled to suspend Telegram messengers, uh, messaging app in Brazil after the platform refused to hand over data belonging to members of a neo-Nazi channel. Oh God, the neo-Nazis. This, this entire, that entire narrative is just being played, played way, way far out. All you have to do is blame some, accuse somebody of being a neo-Nazi and then you can get all their shit. Screw that. I don't buy it for a second. Anyway, that's the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. Neobank introduces soulbound NFTs for wallet holders KYC information. This should be fun. Cointelegraph, Derek Anderson is writing it. Yada, yada, yada. The Neobank 
Cogni has announced that it is rolling out soul-bound, non-fungible tokens containing know-your-customer information to holders of its crypto wallet. The Polygon-based NFT will transfer customers' Web2 KYC verification done by the bank at account opening into a Web3 environment. This doesn't sound good. Cogni, which has United States Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation coverage through a traditional New York bank, introduced its non-custodial multi-chain crypto wallet back in January. Users can send, receive, and hold cryptocurrencies and NFTs in the wallet. Users can optionally mint the non-transferable soul-bound NFT, which decentralized apps can then decrypt with the owner's permission. The bank's intention is to create an improved user experience. Cogni founder and CEO Archie Ravishankar told Cointelegraph, quote, The reason why the crypto curious have not really been able to jump on the decentralized bandwagon is, one, obviously, the user experience. The second is trust in the ecosystem. Everybody knows how to use digital banking. However, Rajnavkar added, the crypto wallet is available in the course of the normal banking experience. The bank level KYC information contained in or on the NFT satisfies KYC requirements in the United States and will be available to partnering dApps with no further action necessary. Cogni foresees creating a marketplace of dApps that can be connected to, including KYC verification with only a few clicks. The use of non-custodial wallets has been rising after the bankruptcies of major crypto firms during the crypto winter trapped customers' money in their custodial wallets. The Cogni soul-bound NFT will initially be av available to select users and is expected to be open to the public in the summer. Guys, no. It's so, it's so insidious, especially when you think of the name. Okay, this is an NFT that has your KYC information on it or embedded inside it, however you want to say it. And the name of the NFT series is Soul Bound. Your soul is bound. Soul Bound. KYC. NFTs. This is everything you don't understand about your identity combined with everything nobody understands about NFTs combined with the absolute fucking clown show that is the banking system, and anything to do with it. All wrapped up into a nice, neat little gift that this dipshit is saying you should probably have. Don't. Don't have any, I, my, here, here's my advice. Don't have anything to do with Cogni. Don't have anything to do with soulbound NFTs and, and any other NFTs that are coming down the pipe with KYC information. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. How do you not do it? You buy Bitcoin instead and you hold Bitcoin. That's what you do. It's not hard. It really isn't. Not at all. Russian Bitcoin wallets allegedly exposed by an apparent hacker. Oh, Cointelegraph. No, nope. This is Coindesk. Danny Nelson is writing it for Coindesk. A mysterious Bitcoiner appears to have weaponized the Bitcoin blockchain against the Russian state by exposing hundreds of wallets allegedly held by security agencies, according to crypto tracing firm Chainalysis. <clears throat> the unknown individual used a feature in how the Bitcoin blockchain documents transactions to identify 986 wallets controlled by the Foreign Military Intelligence Agency, 
also known as the GRU, the Foreign Intelligence Services, the SVR, and the Federal Security Service, FSB. Chainalysis works with works closely with the United States government, and it said in a post shared with CoinDesk. Written in Russian, the vigilante's messages accuse the wallets of being involved in hacking activity. It's not clear whether the individual's allegations are, you know, true. The three agencies did not respond to CoinDesk's request for comment. What's more clear is the individual took control of at least some of the addresses they allege they, they allege to be held by Russia, perhaps through hacking or even, if the allegations are to be believed, an inside job. Leveled in the weeks preceding Russia's unprovoked February 2022 invasion of Ukraine, the allegations amount to an unexpected crypto twist in a conflict that's already had plenty. Ukraine's own government has used crypto to raise tens of millions of dollars for its war effort. Some of the allegedly Russian-held wallets tied up in Chainhouse's research even sent money to Ukraine. Ooh, bolstering the mystery Bitcoiners' allegations, Chainalysis says at least three of the allegedly Russian wallet addresses have been linked to Russia by third parties before. Two of them were said to be involved in the SolarWinds attack, and a third paid for servers used in Russia's 2016 election disinformation campaign. Chainalysis also said the Bitcoiners' spending habits suggest that they were serious about their claims. The individual effectively destroyed over 300,000 worth of Bitcoin while describing their allegations to the blockchain far more than necessary to make use of the Bitcoin blockchain's op return field. Quote, the fact that the op return center was both willing and able to burn hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of Bitcoin in order to spread their message makes it more likely, in our opinion, that their information is accurate, chain analysis said in a press release. After Russia invaded Ukraine, the sender stopped making the inscriptions. They later resumed their activity by instead sending Russia-linked Bitcoin to Ukrainian aid addresses. If the allegations are to be believed, the addresses and any Bitcoin they contain are more or less off the table from a security standpoint, Chainalysis said. The possibility that the opportune sender acquired private keys for Russian-controlled addresses also suggests that the Putin regime's crypto operations aren't secured. Yeah, because that's the deal. The only way this, this dude is going to be able to destroy those coins... Uh, or move them in any way, shape, form, fashion, or whatever, is if they have the private key, which leads me to believe that this is all bullshit. I don't believe a single word of it. There's some, this coin, this coin death story has, for some reason, it sets off all the lights and whistles in my mind as being just patently untrue. Anything that they can dig up against Russia, I guess, is is fair game. But this, ah, dude, I don't know. I don't believe it for a second. However, that doesn't mean that it's not possible. If Putin has somebody in some of these, some people in some of these agencies that are acting against the interest of Russia itself, then yeah, maybe, I suppose. But honestly, think about it from that perspective. How terrified would you be if you were in Russia and you were in control of the private keys or somehow got control of the private keys of some of Russia's wallets and started doing shit like this? How terrified would you be? And would you even stay in the country? Because it's not like you're going to get a fair trial. 
They're just going to take you out back of the shed and shoot you. That's how they do shit. They pretty much just don't mess around with this crap. So that's one of the other reasons why I don't believe that this is true. That's just too scary. That would be too scary for a human being that knows any better at all. I, I sure as shit wouldn't try that crap, but it is what it is. You can take it however you want to take it. Now, talking about exchanges again, this is out of Decrypt, Andre Bogansky. Coinbase responds to the Wells notice, finally. SEC risks reputational harm with enforcement action. Cryptocurrency exchange Coinbase said on Thursday that it has responded to the Wells notice received from the Securities and Exchange Commission urging the agency not to pursue enforcement action against the company for the SEC's own sake. Coinbase is the leading cryptocurrency exchange in the U.S. and became publicly traded in 2021. The company argued that by allowing it to be listed on the NASDAQ, the SEC implied that it did not think Coinbase's business was unlawful. See, this is an interesting, this is an interesting take. I've wondered this myself. Quote, if the commission had believed back in April of 2021 that Coinbase's core businesses violated securities law, it would have been required by its own mandate to prevent the S-1 from becoming effective to protect the investing public, the company wrote in its response. Coinbase also warned the financial watchdog that it will likely sustain reputational harm from its abrupt bout face if it tries to go after Coinbase because of the company's efforts to comply with regulations and possibly discourage other companies from prioritizing compliance. Quote, the story that will be told is one of a company that consistently tried to gain clarity on and comply with the law by voluntarily providing the commission with extensive information about its business, only to have that information used against it in a mystifying effort to extinguish major portions of its business, Coinbase said in a report. In response to the SEC's Wells notice, the company said its platform does not list securities, its Coinbase wallet product does not constitute a broker, and the exchange's staking services do not constitute a securities offering. Now that Coinbase has responded to the Wells notice, the ball is in the SEC's court. Coinbase's vice president of litigation, Catherine Minerick, told Decrypt. She said, the agency has up to six months from issuing a Wells notice to decide if it wants to bring actual charges. After the SEC staff assesses Coinbase's response, a recommendation will be made to the agency's commissioners on whether to pursue enforcement action. If the agency wants to forge ahead with enforcement, it will be voted on by the commissioners, Maneric said. It's only natural that regulators are taking a closer look at actors in the digital asset spaces following the collapse of cryptocurrency exchange FTX last November, Maneric said referencing the apparent mismanagement of FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried that's given way to a litany of criminal charges against crypto's former wonderkind. What's unusual, she said, is that the SEC appeared to acknowledge it didn't have the authority for enforcement actions against Coinbase in 2021, but has since changed its stance despite a lack of regulatory developments. Quote, Nothing has changed in terms of the legislative authority that they have from Congress, Maneric said. Quote, they have, there have been no new rules 
written about crypto, and yet they are proceeding on an enforcement path that they seem to believe was unavailable to them just a couple of years ago, end quote. When it reported earnings in February, the company said it expects to be a net beneficiary amid a year of regulatory focus in a letter to shareholders. The claim came weeks after the crypto exchange Kraken was fined over its staking business. And Coinbase disclosed it had received a Wells notice from the SEC just over a month later related to the exchange's staking products, which Coinbase described as vague and broad in a press release on Thursday. As regulators have stepped up their scrutiny of crypto firms, the San Francisco-based exchange has signaled it is willing to butt heads with the likes of the SEC. That's because you have enough money to buy lawyers. The exchange announced late Monday that it was suing the SEC over Coinbase's petition for rulemaking sent to the regulator last July. The legal action aims to get the agency to respond to Coinbase's plea for clear crypto regulations. A day later, Coinbase CEO Brian Armstrong drew attention to his participation in the Stand With Crypto campaign. (laughs) Jesus. Referencing the commemorative NFT separately, Coinbase said, quote, The community is clearly fired up about sensible crypto policy. At the same time, the exchange has increasingly set its sight abroad as the regulatory environment in the U.S. continues heating up, in line with concerns that some politicians have raised in terms of pushing innovation offshore. Quote, we do not relish litigation against the SEC, but will vigorously defend ourselves, Coinbase's chief legal officer Paul Gruel said in a press release on Thursday. In the meantime, the financial system still needs updating, so we'll be building. All right, so... Coinbase, I don't like. However, this is a beautiful way to get back at the SEC. Now, will it work? Well, who knows? At this point, I I kind of view the SEC as a rogue agency because of the way they've been acting. But it's interesting. It's an interesting tack that the Coinbase legal team has taken by saying, look, if what you say in your Wells notice is true about us, then you knew that when we applied to be listed on the NASDAQ stock exchange and you signed off on it. So which way is it? So their legal team, they've really caught the SEC between a rock and a hard place. Now, if they continue with the enforcement action, will Coinbase's threat that it will tarnish the SEC's reputation Will that, in fact, be the case? Honestly, I don't think so. I don't think the SEC gives a shit. As long as they can pick up a phone and send armed personnel to wherever it is they want to send armed personnel to, then they don't give a shit about their reputation. Will they do that? I don't know. I'm just saying that I kind of view the entire the entirety of the SEC, the IRS, pretty much all these guys as rogue agencies that have almost no oversight or at least the oversight that they functionally have, they don't seem to be listening to. They seem to be doing whatever the hell they want to go do. And nobody goes to jail and nobody gets fined and nobody gets sanctioned. Nobody gets censured. It's just like, well, okay, we'll, we'll grill Gary Gensler in front of Congress for five straight hours and then we'll let him go home and he can go do whatever he wants at the office tomorrow. See, this is why I don't like congressional hearings. They don't actually do anything. 
It's a, in, it's an insane waste of taxpayer money. It's an insane waste of everybody's time that has anything to do with those congressional hearings. If something happened at the end of it, like, I don't know, somebody got arrested in on the floor of the Congress for being a dipshit. Okay. Okay. And then a, a trial happens after that. Okay. I get it. But as for the rest of these quote unquote hearings, you can grill Dick Cheney and Gary Gensler and all the other people that you think are complete assholes for hours and hours and hours. And it's not going to go stop them from flying to New York on a private jet and eating lunch at Tavern on the Green. And until it does, it will always be a colossal waste of fucking time. That's just the way it is. CBDCs are designed to destroy all the value of Bitcoin, according to United States Senator Ted Cruz. Andrew Asmakov for Decrypt. It looks like Ted Cruz is trying to get our vote because he knows we're single issue voters. Introducing a single bank digital central bank digital currency would be profoundly dangerous to society as it would mean the government having visibility into every single transaction of its citizenry, according to Texas Senator Ted Cruz. Quote, I am very concerned about the risk of a CBDC, Cruz stated during the Bitcoin policy summit on Wednesday. Drawing parallels between President Joe Biden's executive order that directed the Federal Reserve to explore the launch of CBDCs and China's experiments with the digital yuan, Cruz said that the intention of using a CBDC is, quote, to destroy all value of Bitcoin, to destroy anonymity, to destroy decentralization, end quote. Wow. Quote, <clears throat> further quote, <laughs> the same people that want to see a CBDC, they hate B- Bitcoin and they also hate cash, said the Texas lawmaker. Continuing on, he said, let's be clear. They don't like cash for exactly the reason I like cash, because it's not subjected to centralized control that is not subject to constant surveillance. And so I hope we see growing resistance to a CBDC. Cruz also praised Bitcoin, which he said is incredibly, he's incredibly excited and incredibly bullish on. Quote, Bitcoin is clearly the alpha in the current crypto sphere, both in terms of coming first and also being clearly the most dominant. I think the analogy of digital gold is powerful and the insight that led to his creation is still extraordinary, end quote. Cruz also revealed that he is personally investing in the leading cryptocurrency, having a standing order every Monday. Oh, Ted Cruz and his DCA, bro. Quote, I own a little more than two Bitcoin. Pausing, pausing to get a little sick and throw up in my mouth. Ted, and anybody listening, you never tell anyone how much Bitcoin you have. You don't even hint at it. In fact, you would do well to tell people that you don't know anything about Bitcoin. You've never heard of it, right? But clearly he can't do that because he's trying to quote unquote, you know, fight for our right to party. But even then, I can know that Ted Cruz has Bitcoin. I can know that he is a proponent of Bitcoin. What I should not know is that he owns a little more than two Bitcoin. I don't want to know that. 
but he does say that he wants a little bit more. I bought the dip, which I was quite happy with, but I'm also a long-term investor, so I'm fine with some volatility, said Cruz. According to him, one of the attractions of Bitcoin is that it has a limited supply of 21 million coin, suggesting that it serves as a hedge against inflation, a particularly important feature when you have irresponsible politicians in Washington that spend money like drunken sailors, he said. Quote, which is actually not fair to the sailors because at least they're spending their own money. <laughs> Last month, Cruz introduced legislation in March to prohibit the Fed or the Fed federal government from creating a CBDC, stating at the time that the United States government had no authority to unilaterally establish a central bank currency. And they, they honestly, they don't. They're, they don't. It's nowhere in the Constitution. It's just, it doesn't exist. Quote, I don't want the government having control over your finances, said Cruz during yesterday's event, adding that one element of President Biden's legislative initiative was a requirement that banks report every single transaction in excess of $600 to the federal government. I feel bad for the person having to plow through that bullshit. Quote, that means your rent payment every month. If you own a home, that means your mortgage payment every month. If you own a car, most car payments are now north of $600. It is literally the government having visibility on virtually every transaction you're making. That's their stated goal, said Cruz. And according to him, decisions like these should be made by Congress, elected by the people, not by the Federal Reserve governors who have no accountability to the American people because they don't. Federal Reserve governors have zero accountability to the American people. We don't get a single say in who those people are. And yet they have their hand on the biggest lever of the United States that there can be, the money. Do I believe Ted? No, I don't believe Ted. I kind of like Ted. I liked him better, you know, longer ago. I don't like him as much now because he's been steeped in that bullshit Washington, D.C. environment for so long. I, I, I'm almost getting to the point where I can't tell him apart anymore. But, you know, what are you going to do? At least he says the thing. At least he actually says Bitcoin. But I don't think he understands. I don't think he quite understands the notion of what Bitcoin actually is. Um, and it's not... It, I get what he's saying about the CBDC and, you know, God bless him and good luck to him. But when he says, let's see, he likes cash. Bitcoin is this one. Bitcoin is clearly the alpha in the current crypto sphere, both in terms of coming first and also being clearly the most dominant. Okay, right there. That's enough for me to know that Ted Cruz doesn't know fuck all about Bitcoin. The fact that it was first and is clearly the most dominant, that has nothing to do with the efficacy of Bitcoin. And when he says it's clearly the alpha in the current crypto sphere tells me that he has a low, no, he has a very high time preference. So he could switch. I mean, this sounds like a man who will jump ship at the slightest, slightest tone of discord. And there are many, many tones of discord in the Bitcoin sphere. If you've been here longer than a year, you know that. I know that. And yet people still want to steal shit coins because a rogue developer 
has drained Merlin decentralized exchange of $1.82 million. So this is the time of the Bitcoin and podcast where I tell you about the stupidity of DeFi because it's always getting hacked. Decrypt.co helps me do that. Written by Andrew Asmakov. Newly launched decentralized exchange Merlin was drained of around $1.82 million from its liquidity pool on Wednesday with auditor Certike, who completed an audit of the DEX just before its launch, blaming rogue developers for the hack. Can't be our shitty audit. In a post on Twitter, the auditor said that, quote, initial investigations indicate that the rogue developers are based in Europe and we are working with law enforcement to track them down and urge them to accept a 20% white hat bounty. Merlin itself accused several members of the back-end team of draining its contracts in a Twitter post. In a statement sent to Decrypt, Certike said that it was working with the remaining Merlin team and the team behind the ZK Sync network on a compensation plan for affected users. Merlin has yet to respond to Decrypt's request for comment. Built on ZK Sync, an Ethereum Layer 2 scaling solution, Merlin only launched a few days ago with a public sale of its MAGE token. Immediately before its launch, Merlin also received a code audit from the smart contract security firm Certikay, a step that many crypto businesses consider essential in ensuring the safety of users' assets and maintaining the trust of customers. According to Certikay, which said it was actively investigating the Merlin incident, quote, initial findings point to a potential private key management issue rather than an exploit as the root cause quote while audits cannot prevent private keys issued or private key issues we always highlight best practices to projects should any foul play be discovered we will work with the appropriate authorities and share relevant info certike said in a twitter thread adding that it has highlighted merlin's centralization risk in its audit report merlin responded to the incident shortly after the developer announcement asking users to revoke connection site access on all their wallets as a precaution. The DEX said, <clears throat> DEX, Decentralized Exchange, said that it is analyzing what has happened and that more updates will be provided. <laughs> Jesus. Blockchain security experts pointed to major centralization issues on the Merlin Decentralized Exchange smart contracts. Quote, Though we're still early in this whole story, there are indications that there were major centralization issues on the Merlin DEX smart contracts. Goncalo Maglahalis, smart contract engineer and at bug bounty platform Immuner EFI, told Decrypt. Ooh, that's a that's a that's a mouthful. Quote specifically. The address receiving pool fees was allowed to drain all funds from every pool in the protocol. In a tweet, another ZK Sync based DEX, EZ Caliber or EZG Caliber, claimed to have identified the malicious code responsible for the draining of funds in Merlin's smart contract. According to Immunify's Maghalis, while Certike highlighted some centralization concerns in their audit, there's no mention of this specific point. 
where the fee recipient address had full approval to withdraw every token from all the pools, which is actually a crucial singular point of failure. If this was indeed the case or of a private key compromise, then it would certainly not be the first, said Maghalis, calling proper key management of privileged addresses on a protocol a critical matter. He added that mitigations such as multi-sig wallets are beneficial, but that having full fund transfer approval on a single account makes this private key a juicy target for black hat hackers. Andy Zhao, CEO at audit platform BlockSec, went a step further arguing that while smart contract audits are helpful for locating vulnerabilities and protecting users' assets, in the protocol, one aspect that is usually ignored is what if the protocol itself is malicious, such as having the intention to rug pull users. On Twitter, Zhao compared Merlin to a bank pre-authorizing that its owner can arbitrarily withdraw all customer money. Quote, if you know this, will you still deposit your tokens into the bank? Asked the BlockSec CEO. Maghalis agreed that the unlimited fee recipient approval was something not at all needed for the logic of the protocol telling Decrypt that we would expect an audit to have flagged this as concerning. Quote, this is another reason why having more than one external party auditing your code is important. What we missed by one firm might be flagged by another one, he said. <clears throat> In a statement to Decrypt, Certike noted that while audits can identify potential risks and vulnerabilities, they cannot prevent malicious activities on the part of rogue developers such as rug pulls and encourage users to look for projects that have performed a voluntary KYC vetting process. The auditor also stressed that private key privileges are outside the scope of a smart contract audit, but that it remained committed to assisting impacted users in hunting down those responsible for what it described as an exit scam. So what's the difference between this Merlin Dex hack and most of the other DeFi hacks? Well, it's because this was a private key compromisation, or if that's even a word, the private key was compromised. Whereas most of them, like 90% of them, is a flash loan attack because a smart contract was compromised. What they're saying here is that this looks like somebody just had the private keys and said, fuck it, I'm done. <laughs> I'm taking all the money. But there's an easy, easy, easy way to make sure that you don't get screwed by this. You buy Bitcoin, you hold Bitcoin. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Dad says, jokes, I went to a bookstore and saw a book titled, How to Solve 50% of Your Problems. So I bought two of them. Get it? Two? Oh, well, whatever. Um, before I let you go today, I want to tell you a little story about what happened to me just uh, earlier today. I have been trying to find a commercial lender at a bank so that the companies of which I am part owner of, and they're not big, okay? This isn't like a shit ton of money, but the way that we do our business is we keep most of our money in businesses, right? Holding companies is essentially what we're talking about. And 
I have been trying to find a commercial lender to help us purchase a condominium in Santa Fe. Yeah, I know. You're saying, why don't you just buy Bitcoin? Because I'm a third owner. I'm going to be overruled on that. Okay. So I got to go with the flow. So I got to make, make do with what I got. So I'm going around, I'm making phone calls. I'm trying to find commercial lending to buy a condominium so that we can rent it out in Santa Fe, along with a couple of the other ones that we have so that we can, you know, they don't want to, the other partners don't want to increase their, you know, the amount of, um, uh, Bitcoin that the companies already hold, uh, other than, uh, day, you know, DCA, you know, cause that was something I agreed. We agreed upon a couple of years ago. At least I got them to do that. Okay. So the companies actually do own some Bitcoin on the balance sheet, but if we're going to do anything like this, it's not going to be a Bitcoin purchase because I, I will be overruled again. I got to go with the flow. So I'd spend hours and hours and hours trying to find people to do this. You call banks, and I, yesterday I spent an hour on the phone at Wells Fargo trying to get a hold of their commercial lending department. You'd think that that would be easy. It's not. It, amazingly, I was bounced around. Like I said, I need commercial lending. And where did I end up first on the audit system? Home lending. That's where they sent me. I'm like, I'm not buying a home. <laughs> I'm trying to buy a, I'm buying commercially with commercial assets, a property for commercial purposes to remain in these commercial, in the commercial portfolio of these companies. I don't, this is not personal. This is not Fannie, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac bullshit. Finally, after the third different place that the audit system sent me, I finally got to a person who understood what I was trying to do and said, I'll set you up with, um, so you can go into the branch that's closest to you. So why don't you go to this address at this time and you can talk to one of the guys there in commercial lending. So that was today at 11 o'clock AM my time. The guy behind the counter did not do commercial lending. I had, he knew that I had an appointment with him and he's like, well, I don't really do commercial lending. And I'm like, yeah, I kind of figured next thing I know, I end up on the phone that he, a number that he dialed to talk to somebody at where Wells Fargo commercial lending. And I spend a good five minutes, not even that describing the very simple nature of what it is that I'm trying to do, which is use commercial assets as to, to securitize a small loan so that we can purchase another property to add to the portfolio. It's not hard. It's not twisted. It's not convoluted. It's not malicious. It's just standard shit that's been done for years and years and years. And you know what she told me? That Wells Fargo is not making commercial loans on any kind of property at this point, And they will not be doing so until the first part of next year. I was, so I was genuinely surprised. I wasn't eye poppingly surprised, but I was genuinely surprised, not because this is a shitty nature for banks to be lending money in. I get that point, but you'd think that I would have heard about this on CNBC or any of the number of news articles that I scanned before I'm putting this show together for you every single day, Monday through Friday. No, I had, this is the first I heard that their entire commercial real estate has been basically shut down for anything under $10 million, right? What does that do? That takes out most of retail. 
Mo- almost all, well, actually, I'm just going to say it. 100% of retail is underneath a $10 million buy cap. $10 million. I don't want to buy a building, Wells Fargo. I just need to start figuring out how to deploy this cash, considering that I can't deploy it the way that I would think I would want to deploy it. And that would be into Bitcoin. But since that's not going to happen, I got to do it a different way. So bear with me on that. You can hate me all you want, but remember, I am a third voter. I'm going to be outvoted. (laughs) It's just like I'm legally bound to not buy Bitcoin. And plus, we've already got Bitcoin on the book, so I'm I'm actually happy with that. I'm just saying, the lending environment at this point is so weird that even Wells Fargo, top five bank in the United States, actually probably top five bank in the world, as far as assets under management and liabilities under management is concerned, Wells Fargo. And they have actually stopped almost all lending on anything that has anything to do with real estate. I started looking for news stories. That shit started last year that they were winding down their home mortgages. They weren't really going to do that anymore. This is one of the largest home lending institutions on the face of the planet. And they're like, no, we're just winding it down because this is just a really bad environment. Everything in the United States apparently is bad. The regulatory environment against crypto, the mining environment when it comes to crypto, uh, home mortgages, commercial real estate, treasury bonds, everything is just apparently on fire. I wish I could tell you what cave to run to, but I don't know where that son of a bitch is because honestly, I don't think that would protect us very much either. I don't, I don't know what else to say about it except for my usual buy Bitcoin and hold Bitcoin because nobody, you don't have to call anybody to get news that they are not allowing you to buy Bitcoin any longer. While you can still get it, I would recommend getting it. But for now, I have to start going from the top five banks in the United States to figure out how to do a very simple transaction that would end up being a performant loan at 6.5% to a credit union. Because apparently that's what I was told by Wells Fargo was to start looking for smaller people because maybe they still do it. Are you shitting me? This is the banking environment at the retail level, April the 27th, 2023. And I will see you on the other side of all that. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.